Let's get a win. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Rip Through a Podcast, episode 15. 15. Goodness gracious, we have a guest today. They're lining up. They are lining up. And They're I'm, lining up. I'm feeling pretty good about this one. It's something that I've been thinking about for a while is getting a big dog on. We've had, you know, Eddie Betts, Lockie Neal, yeah, who, you know, their players, yeah, whatever. Yeah, so It's so. hard to back up after Eddie, but we've gone out and we've found the perfect man. And who do we have? We have... Uh, CEO of the AFLPA. He was a nine years CEO of the Australian Cricketers Association. Son of former Test wicketkeeper Rod Marsh. Supports Port Adelaide Crows. We'll talk about that in a minute. I'm not a massive fan of that. Seems to be playing this week. Port Adelaide Crows. Port Adelaide, <laughs> <laughs> Port Adelaide Power. I don't know. Adelaide, they're all the same team. Turn up for the right game. We are. Yeah. Oh, we're Adelaide? Gold Coast? Oh, I don't know. $1.8 billion, 20% players payment increase thanks to this man right here. For all of us players out there, we have yours truly, Paul Marsh. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Thank you. Thank you for coming up to Queensland. Thanks, Welcome. Robo. Thanks, Sean. Good to be here. How's an intro? A little right? Good, actually. I feel good about myself now. I thought you know, I, I thought I nailed it. I, I, I might have stuffed up on the Port Crows, but who cares yeah, about yeah. that? Um, what brings us to the Gold Coast, mate? I have had to make another trip down to this part of the town. I'm not wrapped with that, but um, no, it's business. What brings us here? We were here on Monday. We caught up with the Gold Coast Suns. This is we're doing our club visits at the moment. So, you and your teammates will have the pleasure of a couple of hours with us tomorrow afternoon, as you know, back in Brizzy. But um, I couldn't get up to you, so thanks for coming to, coming here. <laughs> and we're staying at shout out to the QT Hotel or Gold Coast. This place is fabulous. Uh, it, it is. is. It is. Hopefully, your little plug will get us a bit of better rate or a couple of free beers tonight, maybe. <laughs> well, I wouldn't mind that. I heard they have good omelets down here. They yeah. do, mate. Uh, uh, yeah, bizarre shout out. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's get straight into it. Coming to the AFLPA, obviously you, I mentioned in your fabulous intro that you were at the Cricketers Association for nine years as CEO. Yep. Run us through that and what kind of got you over to the AFLPA because I know that's a pretty big jump. Um, they came to you or did you come to them? Was there a vacancy there that you saw opening? Uh, yeah, so I was, I was actually at the Cricketers for 13 years but nine as the CEO um, and loved it. Great job. Uh, I think Matt Finnis was running the AFLPA. He left, as you know, and... There was a vacancy. I didn't um, didn't apply for the job, but I was approached to see if I was interested. Initially, I probably didn't think I was, and then it became more and more appealing as, as I went through conversations with the board. And, yeah, in, in the end, it was such a great challenge. and such. I've always loved AFL. I used to work at Port Adelaide back in the day. Yeah, here we go. Sales and marketing manager. Port, Port Adelaide Crows. I used to work at <laughs> them back in the day. Um, That's a big slap in the face. It is, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, you should be. That might, that might be the thing that tips them over. Yeah. But... Um, so, look, it was really appealing in the end and, you know, the challenge of representing 820 men, the women weren't there yet, we yeah. so many past players, it was just a, a huge challenge and something I think I needed. So, um, haven't regretted it for one minute. I was going to say, it's one of the questions, what's the difference, I uh, will jump into a lot more of this later, but what's the difference coming from the Cricketers Association where, how many players are involved in that? Yeah, so, and, and that this has changed over time with the Big Bash and the female yeah, players, yeah. but... Probably around 200 men and you know, 150 women. So it's a big difference yeah. and a big, a very different dynamic in that you know everyone wants to play for Australia in cricket. Yeah. So the, the club part of it or the state system was very different, whereas AFL players are very loyal to their clubs. It's almost a family environment. 
Um, it was very different with the state associations. So that took a little bit of getting getting used to for yeah. me. Um, but more players and actually trying to get to know. I'm big on trying to build relationships with the playing group, build their trust so that you guys actually will follow the things that we think you should be doing. Yeah. And that's much more difficult with so many players in AFL. So, you know, time helps that and we get up and we spend time with you guys and these type of opportunities in all seriousness are great because we actually get to spend some time together. Yeah, coming in, so coming into the AFL's you know, 800 plus players, was there a, a goal, goals you had in place to obviously get around, show your face to all these clubs? Like yep. we got to see you for the first time, you introduced yourself, did the introductions and whatnot. But obviously getting the trust of the players first would have been a massive one for you um, coming into the role and evidently having a, you know, a more of a cricket background, but yep. also, of, of, you've obviously had time in the AFL. But how was it building the trust of the players? And obviously you had, we had some big topics coming up uh, early yep. days in your new role uh, yep. at, at the AFLPA. So how would you go about all that? Oh, I think just getting in front of you and trying to um, get you to understand the philosophies that we as an organisation were... You're right, right. then? Yes, yeah, um, um, yeah, that we were That we were going to obviously you know, work on on your behalf. I think it's hard for you guys too. It's a leap of faith to say, well, you know, is, this, is this guy and his team the right people to be representing us on such big issues? And, you know, I certainly... I probably thought that what I'd done in cricket might help me build some credibility with the yeah. players. I'm not sure it necessarily did across the board. I think... There was an element of, okay, well, come on, show us what you got. Yeah. Um, and we talked a big game early on about the things we wanted to achieve for you, but we did ask you to, to follow us. And yeah. the players did that terrifically well in the CBA, and I think we got a good outcome. Certainly the players were did very we happy what? with it. Yes, we got a good outcome. <laughs> so I think once you actually get some runs on the board, then the players start to trust you, and that, that's really important. But as you know, Robbo, um, you're hard taskmasters and you know things can change what we did for you yesterday isn't necessarily going to yeah you know, make keep you guys happy and i think that's really important i learned that really early in cricket that play athletes aren't um aren't satisfied with what we did for them yesterday it's about what we're doing for you tomorrow and you know i'm, I'm very focused on that and so is our team we've got a great team that work for you guys yeah. so um yeah hopefully there's a there's a level of trust there i think data we capture suggests that's the case um, and I think we're in a pretty good place. It's one of those things because obviously you come to the club um, we spend r- roughly around an hour with you so you've got to get around to the 18 clubs. Surveys are big for you. Yep. Um, wh- what are some of the issues that you think that we face as an industry that you know those, those survey topics and the issues that come up on that obviously there's mental health, gambling, yep. um, past and present players who you know who leave the game um, struggling with that, that yep. sort of stuff. What do you think those issues are and is it accurate? Yeah, it is. I mean, I think I know that you know, surveys are a pain in the ass for yeah, the they players, are, they are, yeah. but we <laughs> but do them. Though. We do them, and they help us. And then you know, you tell us, and, and this is something that, that we're very focused on: is that we work for you guys, and you know, we need you to tell us what are the things that are important for us to be to be working on for you. And you've told us that mental health is the biggest issue, and there's no doubt that's the case. You've told us that transitioning out of the game is the second biggest issue. Gambling is an issue, illicit drugs are an issue. These are all societal issues and you guys are part of that broader society. So you give us the, um, the direction and then we go away with our expertise and we work with the right people to try to find solutions. And but these are difficult issues we're dealing with. Yeah. You know, Racism is another one where th- these are things our country isn't actually able to solve at this point in time and we're trying to solve this for AFL players and we're making some progress, but geez, there's, there's still a long way to go. Yeah, Mitch uh, knows I'm a big NBA fan and I follow Michelle Roberts quite closely, who is the NBA Players Association president as well. And I remember reading, you know, her story how 
She said, nothing can comp- comp- actually prepare you for the role until you're in it. And yep. she, she came in with all these expectations. She felt like she'd be able to really grasp every opportunity and really identify those issues. But there was so much that surprised her that she could never have, I suppose, expected. Yep. Take, take yourself back to, to those early days. What, what were what some of the things that just really surprised you about the role that you, you probably weren't expecting to, to face? Yep. Yeah, so as I said before, I was at the ACA for 13 years. My first four, I was working under a CEO in Tim May, who played test cricket, was a fabulous mentor for me. And so I got a good sense of what the business was like. But I was a pretty young CEO. I'd have to think how old I was, but I was early 30s when I took over. And just knowing that the buck stops with with you. And like cricket, we were dealing with um, security was a very big issue in cricket. So we were sending players off to India and Pakistan and parts of the world where... Um, you know, there was terrorist attacks going on and, and that, that weighed really heavily on me. I had to make decisions and deal with Cricket Australia on issues that potentially were life and death. So having gone from a support role to I'm now in charge and if something goes wrong here because I've made the wrong decision, like this really that, that, that weighs heavily and that takes a bit of getting used to that actually that's now the responsibility. So that, that was probably the big thing. I, kn- I knew what the job was but the actual, it dawned on you how, um, how accountable you were the decisions that you were going to make and that's got easier over time but that was probably the biggest transition for me yeah you spoke about it there i mean the emotional toll that, yep. that people don't see you know people will see you in front of the cameras fronting up and and being the face of the organization but emotionally it must have been a, a really big toll you know being privy to an experience that you've never i suppose been exposed to yeah but that's all part of growth and i think you know getting good people around you is important and um making sure you, you do everything to make the right decisions. Like that doesn't mean things can't go wrong, but if you put the right processes in place and you can actually live with the decision that you've made and the things that you've done around that, then I think you can sleep at night. And I, I'm, I'm not a particularly stressed person. Like I, um, I think I've got good perspective and I'm reasonably calm. So you know, that's something that um, you know, I've probably just got used to over time. But, yeah, I mean, there's some big things we're dealing with, like talk about mental health and talk about... The racism; these are big issues that are affecting our players, and it's um, and and it's something that you know, when you see a player opt out of the game for a mental health issue, it does hit you. It it, it actually hits you personally because could we be doing more? Um, but I keep going back to we just got to keep doing the things that we know are right, making the right decisions, talking to the right people. Yeah, so you spoke about like obviously a massive advocate for mental health and um, player welfare. Most teams have those people in place to help them with that, but surely it's you, it's come to a point when. Beams, Hall, Dorr, you know, Jack Stevens and Boyd, like they're all going through similar things, leave the game and, you know, regardless of they're you know, one of the better players of the competition, um, what's actually in place behind that from the AFL Pl- um, Players Association perspective? Like obviously we're going to be helping them as much as we can, um, but is there certain things that you would change within the game or is it kind of just... Yeah. Getting better as we go on? Or? Uh, we're doing a lot of work with the industry on this. Um, so one of the things that came out of the last CBA was we put this, this industry governance committee together where the PA, the AFL, the club, so David Noble sits on this committee. We've yeah. got players um, and we've got experts that are working with us are trying to address the issues around mental health and the other issues I spoke about earlier. So we've done what we've had in place for a number of years, well before me, was a, a national psych network where players can tap into that. So if you if you're struggling, it's a sort of reactive position where I can you can make a call, yep. you can get some help, we pay for it, it's confidential. So that's been in place and that's still important. But what we're now trying to do is change the environment that sits yeah. in players. You, you know, this is a um, such a full on environment that you guys are in and what we're trying to do is improve 
the understanding of the coaches and the, and the clubs around the impact they have on players' mental health. We're trying to, um, you know, we've freed up your time off and all those sort of things yeah. so you can actually get some balance. I think the next big frontier for our industry is to throw the decision-making back to you guys a bit more. I think you're very controlled in what you can do and what you can think, and yeah. I don't think that's actually helping. When, when times start to get tough and you actually can't think for yourselves, um, I'm not sure how you navigate that. So that's the big yeah. thing for us is actually giving you guys a chance to think for yourselves, and, and I think the industry's starting to grasp this. Yeah, I think looking at more people are coming out, so that's obviously, I reckon that's a positive, that you don't so. hold it in until you retire, then you go down that, that dark path um, yep. of alcohol abuse, um, you know, death and all those kind of things from depression. I think it's a good sign that players have the confidence to come out and they know they're going to be heavily backed by not only the AFL Play Association but the football community that it's not soft to talk out. Yep. I think that's massive for players. Um, obviously, they think, oh, they get paid X amount of money, they should handle the media scrutiny and you know the, the, the pressures of... was 22 players every week out of 40, 45, 46 players on a list. Like It's pretty tough times and we get assessed on every little part of our job so obviously CEO has a, a pretty big job and they get a lot of um, stress and pressure but I'm just saying like I think it's a, a good thing that players are coming out and yeah. it's, it's a good and bad thing obviously it's happening but I think more players been able to speak like especially the Beams one um, I, I've known him pretty close for the last few years and he's gone through some some tough times with his father passing and stuff but the social media abuse and all that I think it's actually a good thing that he's called it out and he's trying to talk to these people that um, you know it's not alright and it's just you talk about the I guess the racism as well. Um, it's kind of a trend there, I think, with the with the junior society. Um, yep. There's been two 13 year olds, you know, the one with Adam Goods calling him the ape at the at the game, and then there's this one with Dane Beams has been a 13 year old. Do you think it's education as well around um, racism and where we are in Australia as a public and the social media trolling? Do you think? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, I think you make some good points there. Um, the the first one is, uh, I think, what would have happened past years is athletes just would have suffered in silence yeah. so it wasn't that they weren't having mental health issues yeah. i think the, the research that we have around the community suggests that so yeah. but what we're now seeing is players having the courage to to talk about their issues and therefore they'll get help and i think that's then inspiring other players to yeah, do the same yeah. thing and so that's really good i do think that um we, we need to continue to educate i mean it, it's concerning to us the amount of trolling that's going on this is a new frontier and a new platform yeah, yeah. and you guys are copying it um disgracefully at times yeah um we've we've mounted a campaign this year to call it out and we've been doing that strongly particularly on the issues of racism and you know that ha has we think that's had a very positive impact we've yeah i agree a we've seen it slow down in terms of the amount of trolling it's still there but it's not as much but b what we're now seeing is members of the public bring it to our attention so where a, a player's being vilified in some way we're getting all these tweets sent to, to our accounts saying this has happened can you call it out and so I, we feel as though it's, it, the tide has really turned from the public's perspective. It'll still happen. Mm. But we've had the courage and the Indigenous players at the camp, and I think you'd be aware of this, Robbo, they actually said to us, we want you to call it out. Um, what had happened previously, and Goodsy was, was part of this, was we, we, we sought their permission before we jumped into these issues. And sometimes the players just said, we don't want you to do it. We yeah. don't want the attention. But yeah. now they've, as a group, the Indigenous guys have said, call it out, yeah. which we've done. And I think they feel pretty supported you know, because of the actions, and I think we're seeing a, a shift. I was talking uh, before about the, the trips you do to each, each um, AFL club. Yep. The surveys and stuff, obviously gambling's a big one. Um, we've had a, a young player who's recently um, put his hand up for making the wrong, wrong judgments in terms of um, placing bets on games. Personally, I think that we do more than enough 
and I think it's pretty black and white that what you can and can't do within the AFL in the gambling rights. Is, is, there, a, is there a link that we should be doing more or is the AFL and the governing bodies kind of contradicting themselves when we have a lot of people in the AFL, uh, a lot of sponsors who are betting companies? Is it, do you reckon what, what, what do you think? I mean, well, I, reckon yeah, there, I reckon there's two questions for you there. Yeah, okay. One is, do you think you get enough education as a player around gambling on football matches? Yep. Well, I 100% agree that there would be. Um, we get visited you know, twice. First in the year, mm. we have to go through the, the gambling regulations and what we can and can't do. You've got to pass that survey to move on to the next topic. So yep. you, you're pretty aware of what you can and can't do. A lot of people have come out and said, yes, he's young and stuff. But um, without throwing too much at Jaden Stevenson and um, what he's been through, I think it is talked about a lot. And I think we should <laughs> understand what we can and can't do within those rights. But that's what I mean, like... Obviously, um, there is everything you see on podcasts or sponsorship deals. It's uh, TAB bets and what what you can can't do on games and what you can put on multis and stuff. Is it is it do you reckon it's saturated? And yeah, I mean that it's a tough one because obviously it brings revenue to the game and yep. we we do need that in some aspects. But I just I find it a it's a tough one to answer. Yeah, I think so. I reckon if we went to eight hundred and twenty players and said should should we get rid of gambling sponsorships and revenue in our industry and the Eastern flow was big on that yeah and the flow on effect is that you get paid less money i think there'd be a good percentage that'll say get rid of the gambling and it's it's a genuine dilemma for the industry and we're actually you know the club visit we do tomorrow we're going to ask you this question in our yeah. survey yeah because i think we need to get a player view of this before we take a position because it is um depending on which way we go here it's we're going to lose in some direction but there's no doubt that you know, gambling is it's just so pervasive now in our society and mm. it's an issue that we are seriously dealing with. It's a it's a big issue for AFL players. You know, you get paid more than yep. than other people your age, um, albeit your career is very short. Um, and it, it's something that we need to think about because you've got disposable income. The, the time on your hands thing. That yeah, you do about. have a lot of spare time, I guess, yeah, for, especially these young players coming in. That in my early years, I didn't have much going on. I was just focusing on footy, making the best 22. Yep. And that's all you really had to focus on. Whereas in now, and I'm in my 11th year of my career, I'm thinking about life post-footy. Uh, I've got a small family. So my time, for me, I've, I've never really bettered on anything. So for me, that's never been in the forefront of my mind. But I do understand these younger players that come in, they do have, as you mentioned, disposable income and uh, they have a lot of spare time on their I hands. Is that the cultural thing too? I mean, I think... The time gets overblown a little bit because you guys train very no, we hard. we do, yeah. Do. And, I, and look, it's just that when you are away from footy, because you're so buggered, yeah. you're actually spending time at home on the couch. and Playing Fortnite. All that sort of stuff, <laughs> as we were speaking about. <laughs> but, but one other point I would make on gambling is, I think where our industry has been historically on this is it's been sort of part of the culture. Because, you know, you guys come in, there's 45 young men yeah. getting together every day. I mean, it's difficult to find new stuff to talk about. Men aren't that good at that anyway. So having this, the fluidity of, of something to gamble on and talking about the NFL game or the horse, horse racing or whatever it might be, I think that's been part of the cultural problem in our industry. It's almost a way to socialise with yeah, with other players. Um, and I think we've identified that and we're doing some work on it. But look, this, this is a difficult issue for us to address. Yeah, I, I know when we spoke last year, Paul, when, when you published your own story through exclusiveinside.com, uh, you really wanted to, you know, not just focus on, on some of these key issues like mental health and, and gambling, but another topic that you spoke really passionately to me was media accountability yeah. and that you wanted that to be a core part of your personal strategy going into the next 18 months. 
How have you seen it since that time? And I know uh, we joked yesterday that your Twitter account gets some love at times and um, we can see that you've been very active on that. But I suppose looking at that, how have you kind of seen um, that part of your role and I suppose that part of the industry really embrace that strategy? Yeah, well, I think if I go back to part of the conversation earlier, which was um, you know, the direction that we get is from you guys, right? So we come around, we talk to you about what the players actually want from us to focus on. And media was a big part of it. I think the, the players as a group... Um, have been sick of some of the media reporting, the sensationalism, the inaccuracies. Now, I should say, we, we don't want poor relationships with the media. In fact, quite the opposite. We, we see the media as a, a critical part of our industry. Um, a lot of the money comes from the media, so we do want to work with them. But um, we, we can't just walk past things that are materially inaccurate, damaging to our players, and it happens far too much. So we've put the media on notice that we are going to call it out. Um, they as a group, have been challenged by that. I think they've, um, they've felt a bit threatened and yeah. they, they, haven't, they haven't loved it. Uh, it's not to say we just, we're, we're spending all day every day looking for it, but where it's big, and there's been some pretty ordinary stuff that we've called out, um, which then leads into you know, conversations with the media, a better understanding on their side, and I think we're moving it forward. So I, I think it's been positive. It's, it's bloody difficult trying to hold the media to account because um, that, that, they, they're not used to it. Yeah. And it almost creates a, a, a war, and what they're saying about the... Um, the pen being mighty and the sword is probably correct. Yeah. But, you know, I think the players now have almost taken that lead as well. You guys, I mean, you've been, we talked about it earlier. There's a reason why this you, podcast you, is going. You, you, guys are, <laughs> you guys are empowered to actually talk about this stuff, and so you should, because you shouldn't have to have things that are materially inaccurate yeah. said about you. I think the players are kind of banded together on that forefront as well. Um, I do, I actually in, enjoy what the media, like I, I read most publications every day, I enjoy the football aspect and what they write about, but... I think it's just some things that are factually incorrect and they're obviously incorrect, That the ones that stand out. And I think you see a lot of players these days, you know, there's a little bit of banter going between the Corns and the Tex Walker. And I think players are more inclined to jump on the front foot and use their social media to, to kind of fight back, I guess, or have their opinion. Because media managers are always going to have their say in terms of what, what you should and shouldn't say. But if a player feels that passionate about saying, they kind of let you go with it yeah. um, without tarnishing the brand at all, obviously. But... I think it's a more more power to the people at the moment. It's, it's it's a good thing for us. Well, you've all got your own media channels now. Everyone's doing a podcast, and <laughs> not this though. Not this, this side. This is the people's <laughs> not podcast. As good as this, one. <laughs> this is the people's show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and and do you do you play a role in supporting that? As you said, players are becoming more privy with understanding yep. how to utilize the media, how to create their own platforms to share their own messages and I suppose you yourself must be really proud seeing you know your cohort really embrace this new um, space that the industry is really starting to evolve in as well yeah, yeah absolutely and I think players understand that the, the power that they've got now and um, you know a lot of them are playing in this space now and I think it's good and I think it, I should make the distinction here that I don't think players have an issue with being criticized that, that comes with the territory mm. it's when it's it's inaccurate and when and you know there's talk about trade or something a player might have done off the field or allegedly done off the field. Rumours, that, sources. Yeah, all yeah. that stuff. Staff writers. Staff writers, that's a big one. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 That, that's what pisses the players off. Yeah. So. Yeah. so obviously you were at the cricket for a long time. We touched on that. Were you involved in any CB, CBA negotiations there uh, during your time at the Cricketers Association? Yeah, I think maybe four or five. So I've been doing, I'm, been doing it for I'm a while. a sucker for punishment. Yeah, I've yeah. done a lot of these. Uh, uh, well, there was one close to a lockout, wasn't it? Uh, I've come, a few times. So there was one after I left where they actually um, lockout slash strike happened. I, I, mm. I think the last one I did in cricket, we got past the deadline or just just before the deadline. Yeah. 
Um, and the cricket and the 41s are a bit different in that there is a drop-dead date for the cricket deal. That's what my next Whereas, question was. Yeah. What's the similarities or comparisons to... I know it's a last resort thing um, and the game can't be a game without the players. Has it got to the point where you thought, oh, shit, this actually might happen? Um, I know I know, you want to keep that in your back no, pocket for oh. a bargaining negotiation. Well, yeah, we don't want to, don't want to throw too, too much here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, come on, Mitch. How's <laughs> the, <how's> the players? <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I, I do have a belief that um, and I think this comes down to the people that you're working with on both sides. Yep. But I, I've never felt as though I've been in a negotiation where either neither side has wanted to get to a deal. So I reckon if that's your starting point, that you're actually trying to get a yeah. deal done that's good for the players and the game, yep. then you'll get there. Um, and that's something you've been saying from the start, obviously, yep. in the meetings that we had. I know the public don't get to see what we actually talk about together, but from the start you said, look... Th- that's a possibility. We need to make sure that we're on the same page, that if we uh, do not agree that that could be something. But obviously we want to have a good relationship with the AFL. It's not, yeah. it's not, a, why, it's not why, a power trip. Why would we want to have a strike? Or yeah, a well, I don't want to. I need games mm. played. Yeah, I need to get my yeah. name on the locker. <laughs> that's a big thing for us. <laughs> no, no one wants that. But in saying that, if you, know, just, you can put this in any context. If you've got someone who's got more power than you, which the AFL does, mm-hmm. and if they're putting you in a position where it's um, – you know, they're giving you an ultimatum that's just not acceptable, then what do you have left? Exactly. And, that, and that's that's there. So I've always said in cricket and footy that I'm never ruling out a strike. Um, I don't want uh, – it's the last yeah, thing yeah. I want, yeah. but it doesn't mean that we wouldn't get to that point. Yeah. Because um, what have you got left if you're being bullied to a point where it's okay, well, unless you do what we want you to do, then yeah. you're not going to get what you want. Well, that's just – that's that's the way you have to deal with it. But uh, I think if you get reasonable people on both sides and you work hard – and you're creative, there's a solution there somewhere. Mm. It might not be exactly what you wanted or what they wanted. And I think we did that really well with the AFL in the end. Um, there were some issues on both sides that looked insurmountable at times, but we got there. Yeah, and it's also leaving wiggle room for the next one, I guess. That was a four or six-year deal? Six-year deal? Six-year deal. Yeah. Six deal so. You'd do 15-year deals if you could, wouldn't you? Just uh, probably not. <laughs> probably not, because <laughs> the game changes <laughs> drastically <laughs> after that time. Yeah. The numbers could go down yeah. terribly with the AFL. You never know. Yeah. So... In terms of that, do you catch up with the AFL regularly? Obviously, yep. it's your job to. Is there, a, is there a boardroom like this at a similar place in Melbourne that you and Gil McLaughlin, Beck Chitty would catch up? <laughs> yeah, no, we catch up. We catch up a lot. Um, you know, we, I'd say we'd have meetings with the AFL every week in some way, shape or form. Yep. Not always me, but yeah. you know, I, I deal with Gil on a lot of issues, Steve Hocking on a lot of issues, catch up with him monthly, formally and, and outside that and others in there. So, you know, I think it, it's important that the AFL see the players and the PA as key stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of issues that affect you guys every day. And you, as a player, you'd have no idea how much work is going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And that doesn't matter. But we're, we're catching up constantly talking about the issues that affect the players day to day. Our view is that we've got to keep making decisions that are good for the game and good for the players. Good for the game, good for the players. Do you sit on any rule committee meetings? Like, do the, do you think they should come to the players and actually ask us what works and what doesn't work? Obviously, we had um, that 666 rule trialled at a f- about five clubs this mm. year, and I think that's been a standout rule that's actually changed the game for the better. Uh, more scoring from centre bounces, especially late in the game, you can't have that saturation defence. Do they come to you guys and be like, oh, this is what we're thinking about, yeah. and do yeah, you relay so that to us? Yeah, so obviously that's not cutting through with you, but we've... <laughs> <laughs> Just rip through it. What, what, we, what we do do is... So Brett Murphy, who's um, head of our player and stakeholder relations, is on the competition committee. Okay. Paddy Dangerfield, our president's on it, and Steve May is a, um, another senior player. So we've got three representatives. What we do is come and talk to you. So last year we talked to you guys a lot about the rules they were proposing and we got a lot of good feedback. Mm-hmm. And then our job is to take that to the committee. 
Um, I know rules of the game are, are probably one of the most frustrating parts of the industry for the players in that you guys feel as though don't change is your, is your starting point. Yeah, yeah. And, and I do think that we have to be a little more flexible than that because the AFL's job is to keep the game moving forward and you know if they're not doing that, you know, the game could drop off pretty quickly. Yeah. So we're one stakeholder. We're not the only stakeholder. Coaches are important. You know, how the game is looking is really important because then, then the fans are going to get involved and the money comes in. So we do have a voice and you guys do have a voice, but we're not the only one. You, you mentioned the AFL obviously being such a forward-thinking industry. Do you see challenges that could be more external to the game? You know, the advancements of rugby league and soccer and uh, the Olympic programs that are starting to, I suppose, grow in their own right. Can you see that starting to now play a, a role in really impacting the future talent pathways towards the AFL? I think you always have to be keeping an eye on your competitors. I think the AFL is, is, is ahead of the game, no doubt. But, um, you know, there are sports. I mean, I know if I go back to my cricket days, we were miles behind at one point but yep. then came the big bash and the Indian Premier League and these other opportunities for young talented athletes to earn a lot more money if they're really good and travel the world which AFL players don't get to do formally as part of the sport really so you know we you've got to keep an eye on it there's no doubt about that yeah absolutely and I suppose just going forward in the months ahead we know that there's so much that you're involved in and I was talking to, to Bobby yesterday from your media department about the projects that, that you have coming up um, it is quite an exciting time for the AFL Players Association. Yeah, it always is. It's, it's um, that's one of the things I most love about the job is it's just there's something going on all the time. So, right in the middle now of negotiating the next CBA for the female players, um, we've got a lot of stuff going on commercially. We're building, you know, we're doing a lot of work on our strategy for the next 18 months. In fact, I've, I've got a day with our team straight after this. Um, there's so much going on, and then you, you, we're trying to deal with these big issues: mental health and gambling and Transition is one that no sport has been out of nail. I mean, it's such a difficult issue, players coming out of sport. Yeah. And, you know, we've got to keep trying to find ways to find solutions. Yeah. With past players, I reckon apart from being delisted and dropped and moving on to the next part of your life, I think that's probably the most stressful and nerve-wracking first year out of the game. Um, I speak to a lot of, you know, past players. I'm 30 now. Don't know what my next contract looks like. I could be out of the game pretty soon. You don't know. Um it's nerve-wracking and there's a lot of issues that come from that for players' um, transition. Is there something you just said it's hard to nail? What's in place for past players' um, early days and is there, do you think there's any problems around that fact? Yeah, so we've done a lot of, we've got a lot of things in place for the past players. So we have a retirement account, as you know, so there's money put away for every year that you're in the game and you'll get a, you'll get a retirement account when you finish. Yep. And that's about trying to ease the, the financial burden. Um, we give you guys education and training grant money for whilst you're playing, but also for three years out of the game. Mm. So in terms of trying to get yourself ready for your next career, that's in place. Um, we offer you financial management advice. So if you want to sit down with one of our advisors and work through your finances, yep. that's all available and paid for. So there's all these things that are there and, and they're all logical support services we provide. I think the real problem is the, the mental you are doing a job right now. I know you're going to end up being a Fortnite champion. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably <laughs> Make millions of that. Three times as much as what you're earning yeah, now. Yeah. Um, and I know what your contract Wish is, so that'd be yeah. a lot of money. <laughs> but but um, the reality of it is you, you're probably doing the job you're most going to enjoy in your life. That's what we hear all the time. Yeah, yeah. So the thought of then doing something for the rest of your life at such a young age is, is really challenging. And that's I don't think there's a, a program or service we can just give you yeah. to actually take that burden away. So that's where I think this whole self-navigation thing is important. Like you actually need to find... You need to find what's what your passion, I guess. Passion, what's going to get you out of bed in the morning, 
so that it's not as daunting as what it might be. And it's it's not for everyone. Like there are guys, and you know, I, I guarantee you, there are guys in your team who don't want to do anything apart from play footy now. Yeah, and then they'll get to the end and go, "What do I do now? I'm a footballer," and their their identity is attached to being a footballer. That's I guess that's the most thing that I'll be thinking of post footy. I've got this podcast and I've got a few other things under the belt ready to go. But being delisted from Colton was massive for me. I had that probably two-month period where I wasn't contracted to any club and I didn't know how I was going to pay bills, look after my small family. That's that's where I think um, more education around what actually life post-footy looks like for these players. Um, usually, I think it's a three- or four-year career. Yeah, average. four years at 22 is yeah, the pro- probably Yeah, it's probably slightly more than that now. Yep. Um, but it's, yeah, it's look, it's very short. Yeah. Look at your life, four, five, six, whatever it might be. Yeah. It is a tiny period of your life. I reckon you be more inclined to feel the pressures when you're a 30-plus-year-old coming out of the game than when you're 24 and you've probably still got those um, early stages where you can do yeah. apprenticeship and Couldn't stuff. Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. I think the data yeah. that we've got, and it's not just AFL players, yeah. it's, it's athletes, is those that are in the game for longer find it harder to transition. Yeah. Because it's, not, it's also your friendship groups. Yeah. They tend to narrow down you know, the kids that you grew up with and your friendship group tends yeah. to be the club. And as, you know, as soon as you probably found this at Carlton, as soon as you walked out the door, as much as they're still your friends, you're not seeing them every no, day. I probably talked to one or two of them. Yep. Yeah. I, I heard, as much as me and Mick Midas didn't get along, he always said you will count probably your friends for life after footy probably on your one hand. So yeah, well. that's probably the only thing I took from him. But um, <laughs> other, than that, other than that, he's been great. So save that for another podcast, shall we? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I just saw the Herald Sun doing a one called Sack. So I might, when I get fired, I might... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, look, it, it's fascinating. I suppose we always talk about it, you know, how quickly this game is changing. And I don't know how you keep up, honestly, with the amount of changes and the issues that you always have to get on the front foot about. And, um, yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, when, when I was at the Gold Coast Suns, my biggest fear was we had so many young kids and they all just wanted to focus on football. But what I've seen in the last few years is this massive investment towards welfare and yep. development. And there's time in the schedules now where there is time allocated for TAFE and university and actually being able to do and invest in areas outside the game. Yeah. So I think the industry's yeah. come a long way on that. And I think, you know, I'm proud of the role the PA's played, certainly before my time, but also in the last few years in, in, in trying to drive that. Because I think the industry now is at a point that it sees how important these issues are. Um, and that's, a, that's the first step in making changes. We've got about five minutes left. I know your time is very expensive. Well, it's actually it's your my time, yeah, really, isn't it? My time as well. We'll do a quick five or something like that. I think there's yes. a lot of uh, – when I put up on Instagram, um, it might have looked like a bit of a mugshot, actually, that photo. I don't know <laughs> yeah, what yeah. happened there. There's, looked no, at, there's no good photos. There's no good – no, of course there is. You're a very attractive human being. But um, <laughs> the, the fans have a few questions, um, and we'll just read through them. Yes or no, or little one sentence about them. Um, MCG, MCG Grand Finals. Thought? Um this is a frustration, isn't it, of the, mm. um, the non-Victorian clubs. And, and you're, you're from WA, so... I'm from WA, yeah, and, um, and I broke for Port Adelaide Crows, as you said <laughs> earlier on. Um, but I, look, I think there's a bigger issue in that I, I, I think the non-Victorian clubs are not being... don't feel as though they're being equally treated, and yeah. I think there's an element of truth to that, you know, travel and fixturing and other things. So, you know, the MCG Grand Final, it is locked in. I think it would be fair that we play that, you know, we, we rotated it, but then there's this financial piece as well. Would yeah. you get as good an outcome... Playing it somewhere else, so probably more than a one-word answer there. Mid-season trade, does it work or doesn't work? We're talking to you guys about this as we get around. I think we'll see you tomorrow about that. <laughs> I know you've got some strong views on yeah, this. Yeah. Uh, I think it's probably likely. We're, we're believers in giving you guys more options as players, so as long as you're not forced to move, 
um, then it's another option. The, the unintended consequences here are the things we want to explore with you guys because yeah. we do have a fear that some clubs will use this as a, as a mechanism to move players on mid-year um, and that's a fear the players are talking to us about. Mm-hmm. So we, we've got to have a think about that but open-minded would be how I'd answer that question. Well, that kind of wraps it up. We are nearly past our time with you. Um, Paul Marshall, I'd like to thank you a lot for coming on. A lot of people have been talking about this episode. They couldn't believe I got you on here. I said that you actually asked to come on our podcast. So that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> I've, been, I've been saying that though. That's not true. That's but a no, story. That's a story. story. But I do really appreciate you coming. I know your time is uh, important. So um, from all everyone at uh, Rip Through a Podcast, me and Sean. The people. That's pretty much it. Well done, guys. But no, thanks, uh, thanks for coming chat. on. Good luck. Well done so far this year. And hopefully you'll go easy on, uh, on Port this week. <laughs> the Port Adelaide Crows. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. No, thanks, mate. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks, guys.